Uh, we're continuing our series here on the Psalms, and today we're going to do uh, one of the end Psalms in the Old Testament, um, Psalm 142. And uh, again, if you have a paper Bible, you're right more or less smack in the middle of the book, or you can look online and uh, pull up an electronic Bible. Well, we're going to talk about prayers from the cave today, prayers from the cave. And this is a bit of a trick because it's not only Psalm 142 that we'll be looking at. We'll also be looking at Psalm 57 because both of them are written by David and both of them are written from the cave. Uh, we'll figure out what that is uh, in a few moments. But uh, we're fortunate enough to have in some of the Psalms a title. Uh, and here we're told that uh, this is a maskil of David when he was in the cave, a prayer. And we have the same title in Psalm uh, 57 as well. Maskil is probably a literary or musical term. We're not sure what it is, but something like that. And this was probably set to music as were most of the Psalms. And, but we're told specifically this is another one of David. And uh, we've got a tip here when he was in the cave. There's really only one possible cave that this could be referring to. It's in a place called Adulam. And uh, we'll go there in a few minutes and uh, try and figure that out. But uh, I, I thought it would be interesting today for you to start thinking about what it would be like to be in a cave. Uh, have any of you ever been in one before? Okay, a few of you. All right. Uh, maybe online you're watching and you've been inside of a cave before. But uh, tell me uh, slowly and carefully and loudly, what are some of the things that it would, it would feel like? What is it like to be in a cave? It's humid. Yes, I've been in a cave, and that was one of the first things that struck me is how unbelievably humid it was inside of the cave. Because where's the moisture supposed to go? doesn't really go anywhere. It's a bit like having a, an attic with no ventilation. You're going to get mold in that attic, right? You've got to have some ventilation. So yeah, caves are very humid. True. Dark. It's dark. How dark is it? It's real dark. Depending on the cave, you probably can't even see your hand in front of your face in a cave. So you've got darkness You've got a lot of darkness unless you have light and you have humidity. Doesn't sound too promising so far. What else is in a cave? Cold? Yeah, it's probably not too warm in a cave. I mean, it depends. I suppose it depends on the, on the temperature outside. But uh, the cave that I visited with my family was in uh, the U.S. It was a little cooler inside the cave than it was outside. Yeah. Yeah, it's, why would it be claustrophobic? Yeah, you don't know where anything is. Especially the first time you go in, right? You, you don't know. You don't know what's around the corner. Yeah, so there can be this sense of claustrophobia. Are, are these good things? Not so good. <laughs> but apparently David was in there when he, when he was writing this, uh, this psalm. What else? Good observations. What else do you think is going on in a cave? Scary. It's scary. But why would it be scary? I mean, some people like darkness and humidity and claustrophobia, don't they? 
Why else would it be scary? Bats, yeah. In other words, you're not sure what's in there with you. There could be various creepy crawlies in there with you or worse, right? You could have some large predators in that cave. They like caves too. Anything that's remotely positive so far about caves? Why did you go in a cave? Those of you who have been in one, why'd you go in? What was that? Exploring, okay, yeah. Curiosity, yeah. Hiking, yeah. You saw a cave, went in the cave, okay. Did any of you, have ever ever hid in a cave and you've chosen it as a hiding place? Maybe you were playing hide and seek with somebody or friends and there was a cave nearby and you said, well, let's go hide in the cave. Yes? Oh, did they find you? No, they didn't find it. They probably didn't want to go in the cave. All right, so a few of you have been in the caves before. What would it be like to be in a cave fleeing from an assassin? <laughs> because that's what David was experiencing. Uh, the assassin in David's life was who? Saul. So Saul was, uh, was extremely jealous of David after David uh, killed Goliath in uh, the Valley of Elah, I think it was, which is actually very close to the cave of Adullam. Uh, cave, or Adullam is like 10, 10 miles west of Jerusalem. Uh, you can go and visit a lot of caves in the area. We're not sure which cave was, was the cave that's being referred to, but it was clearly a cave in Adullam because when we look in the Old Testament, we only really see that as the significant cave in David's life. But what would it be like to be not only in the cave, but you're, you're in the cave because you're hiding from someone who wants to assassinate you. Um, now, David, in his case, he's probably on the run from Saul for uh, a while. Any of you can guess how long he's running from Saul? Those of you who may have read the whole thing in the Old Testament about this. How long? Pardon me, one year? Okay, I'll be like a game show host. Higher. Five, maybe. Most scholars don't say two. Five, maybe. So they say somewhere between the range of four and ten years. It's a little hard to figure out because you have to find markers, uh, historical markers in the text, and they're a bit hard to dig around. Uh, you know, you're reading in First Samuel and Chronicles and all the Old Testament history books to try and figure out where you are. But most scholars say it's between uh, you know, four and ten years. That's a long time to be on the run. And in this particular moment, he is in a cave. We'll start with Psalm uh, 142, but we won't read... Um, the, the text just yet. I, I want to give you the context here from uh, Samuel, First uh, Samuel chapter 22 and Second uh, Samuel uh, 23. Okay, you've got to flip in your in your Bible to the left, uh, just like I am here, or dig it up electronically. And here's what First Samuel chapter 22 says: David left Gath. After pretending to be insane, by the way, you can read that at the end of 1 Samuel chapter 21. In order to save his life, he actually pretends to be insane. He leaves Gath and escapes to the cave 
of Adullam. When his brothers and his father's household heard about it, they went down to him there, presumably to comfort him, to protect him maybe. And all those, verse 2, who were in distress or in debt or discontented. So you've got a bit of um, what we call a motley crew. Uh, who, for whatever reason, gathered around him, and he became their leader. About 400 men were with him. That's a big cave. From there, David went to Mizpah in Moab, that's on the other side of the Dead Sea. So he's west of the Dead Sea, and now he either crosses it or goes around it, and he's, uh, he's east of it now. It, to Mizpah in Moab and said to the king of Moab, would you let my father and mother come and stay with you until I learn what God will do for me? So it goes by really, really quickly in 1 Samuel chapter 22, verses 1 to 2. But he went to this cave to escape. He's, he has some family come to him and he has this odd bunch of men the disgruntled, the discontented, those in debt, kind of the outcasts are drawn to David and he becomes their leader. Some of these men would uh, rise to greater positions of authority within David's whole setup. You see it mentioned again in uh, 2 Samuel uh, chapter 23, same cave. And this is the end of David's life, and it's kind of a, a reflection here from the writer about uh, an experience um, in this cave. During the harvest time, 2 Samuel chapter 23, verse 13, three of the 30 men, 30 chief men, and you have to read the context to see these were men in high standing in David's uh, army, uh, came down to David at the cave of Adullam, hmm. while a band of Philistines was encamped in the valley of Rephaim. Philistines are the arch enemy of the Israelites at this point in history. At that time, David was in the stronghold. Presumably, the cave became a place, um, like a headquarters almost, for David. And the Philistine garrison was at Bethlehem. Which, which again is a, a bit of a ways from Adullam. David longed for water and said, oh, that someone would get me a drink of water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem. I think it's like 10 kilometers away. So the three mighty men broke through the Philistine lines, drew water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem and carried it back to David at the cave, we're to assume. But he refused to drink it. Instead, he poured it out before the Lord. Odd response. Far be it from me, O Lord, to do this. Is it not the blood of men who went at the risk of their lives? And David would not drink it. Such were the exploits of the three mighty men. Again, the cave of Adullam mentioned briefly, but still mentioned. And so here we zap back to Psalm 142 and eventually Psalm 157. We'll check that out in a moment. And we see the context. He's running from his life. He's uh, in this cave. He's got an assassin after him. How many of you have ever had that experience? 
none of you, right? You've, maybe you've been in a cave before. Maybe you're playing hide and seek. Maybe you were exploring, you know, and maybe you, and you went into the cave. You came out of the cave. You were just fine. Uh, you were on a trip, whatever. It's, it was it was a positive experience. It was not. You weren't running from uh, for your life from someone, and yet we have this psalm that we can ultimately relate to. Uh, if you, you can switch the dial off on that radio. They're not calling me or asking for pizza. So Psalm 142, let's see if you relate to this. I cry aloud to the Lord. I lift my voice to the Lord for mercy. I pour out my complaint before him. Before him, I tell my trouble. When my spirit grows faint within me, it is you who know my way. We relate to those words, don't we? We relate emotionally to those words of crying out to God, even complaining to God of having our spirit grow faint before God. And we don't even have to know that this is written from a cave and from a man who's on the run. We somehow relate on an emotional level to these opening words of the psalm. Because we have a cave experience in our lives on an emotional level. And I'll call this an emotional cave. And on the left-hand side of the screen there, that's actually one of the caves in the Adullam areas, probably not the one uh, that, that David and his 400 you know, band of followers were in. Could have been, but probably not. Uh, on the left, you see some of the things that you all have, have observed about caves. They're all not too uh, positive. So David is hiding in the cave. He goes there uh, uh, running. It's not, he's not there on, a, on a, uh, a pleasure tour or he's not traveling or he's not, you know, it, this, he's hiding. He's running for his life. The cave is dark. Again, caves can be so dark that you can't even see your hand in front of your face. Caves are humid. It's hard to breathe. Caves are lonely. If you're by yourself and you're in a cave, which is initially how he got there. Yes, he had people who came to him after, but initially he is lonely. He is isolated. And he, quite frankly, that's the way that he wanted it because he's running for his life. Cave, when you initially go into it, it's unpredictable, especially if... Uh, you know, we're talking, I think it's around 1200, 1100 BC, something around that, that time. And, you know, you're in that part of the world. You, you could see some things around the corner in that cave. I remember the cave that we visited. It was stunning how you think that it's closing in on you and, you know, it's getting narrower and narrower. And then all of a sudden you turn the corner and there's this huge, huge, almost like a room so much space it just opened up into something that you didn't even realize was there and of course this cave was a tourist attraction and so they had lights everywhere and it was you know very safe and and everybody was so impressed with the cave and everything but 
if you went in there for the first time and you had no light or very little light, you'd basically be wondering, what's around the corner here? I'm not sure. What's going to fall down on me? I'm not sure. Is there any water in here? I'm not sure. Very, very unpredictable. And thus, scary. It's frightening. All of us can relate to that. Have you ever been moments, been in moments in your life where emotionally speaking, you were in hiding? You were just, that was, there was a period in your life or maybe there's a period in your life now and you're hiding from something. You're hiding from someone. Maybe it's some kind of relationship that you're in that's toxic. Maybe it's something in your, in your work environment or your school environment, but you're hiding from someone or from something. You're in a period where you're concealing something or you're concealing yourself. We all relate. We all relate to moments in life when it's dark and where we don't know where we're going and where we can't see. Probably very few of you have had the experience where you've been in such darkness where you can't even see your hand in front of your face. But we've emotionally been there. We've emotionally been in those places where it's hard to breathe and you're, you're in a kind of a moment of panic. We've all been there. We've all been in places of loneliness and isolation. That's kind of what happens in a pandemic. We've all been in moments where life is unpredictable and frightening. So on an emotional level, we have all gone through moments of the cave experience, at least when you walk into it, it can be that way. Um, we just saw on the, on the news this week um, from the sports world, our own uh, star uh, goaltender, Carey Price, uh, who has voluntarily admitted himself into, uh, you know, some type of help. And it's fairly clear that he's in, you know, some type of, of place that's not too good right now in terms of his mental health. And this has made headline news, you know, arguably the best goalie on the planet uh, right from here. And he's not shy and his family's not shy about it. Uh, we saw this in the sports world with uh, the gymnast uh, Simone Biles during the Summer Olympics. And so this whole thing of mental anxiety and emotional anguish is very real. And I would pause uh, at this moment to, to say that it's very real also in the church and in the community of faith around the world. This is a very clear and present reality. Now, unfortunately, the church, just in a general sense, has not been too good at addressing the subject of really what's, what's written in many of the Psalms. Many of the Psalms are written from a posture of what could be uh, full-out depression uh, in some cases. I mean, you read some of the things that these authors say, and goodness, it's quite dark. It's quite foreboding. Uh, you know, they talk about the pain that they're in, and they use some metaphors that are just extremely graphic. It almost sounds like a person who's depressed, and they talk about the the spinning darkness around them and just falling down lower and lower into that kind of chasm. And that's very real in the lives of people of faith, just as it is very real in the lives of people with no faith. 
The church has not done a good job historically with this. I think things are starting to change a little bit. But the church has uh, historically has denied this and has said, well, you know, if you're a person of faith, if you're a Christian, if you have Jesus in your life, you shouldn't be depressed. You shouldn't experience these things on the left-hand side of the screen. Uh, probably emotions that David went through. You read this psalm through, and you clearly he's in a he's in a state where he feels. I mean, my spirit grows faint within me. Have mercy! I pour out my complaint before you. I tell you of my trouble. Uh, you continue in the path where I walk. Men have hidden a snare for me. Look to my right and see. No one is concerned for me. In other words, nobody cares about me. He's isolated. I have no refuge. No one cares for my life. Wow, that's uh, some pretty dark language that he's using. And what the church has done, historically at least, again, I think it's changing. He said, well, it's impo- you shouldn't have these problems if you're a Christian. You just need to pray more. You just need to read your Bible more. You just need to go to church more. You just need to get involved in church more. And it'll sort of magically go away. After all, it's supposed to. And really, nowhere in the scripture do we see that, that at all. In fact, if we look into the pages of scripture, we see people who are in emotional despair all over the place. Uh, their solution seems to be to admit it and to call out to God uh, for help. Uh, but for whatever reasons, we've kind of pushed this away and said, oh, no, 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 not if you're a person of faith. Uh, let me tell you who are in the room today, and I don't know all of you, but I know some of you. Those of you who are watching online, uh, it's a very real thing. And uh, sometimes that type of, of um, a problem in your life uh, can can be something where you need to seek professional help, you need to be medicated for it, uh, you need to watch it, you need to be careful of it, you need to call people, you need people in your life, whatever, a doctor, a counselor, a psychologist, whatever. Uh, and you need those things in your life or your life is going to take a downturn. And I've met scores of people in church settings uh, who are like that. So uh, th- this all needs to be admitted all of this stuff on the lo- on the left, and that there is there are moments, real moments in life. Sometimes they go on for a long time, where you're emotionally in that cave. At least as soon as you walk into it. But then on the right hand side uh, of the cave, and again that's a real cave from Adulam. There's other things that can happen in the cave that are positive. Um, if you decide to turn the cave experience into a positive experience. So David continues, I cry to you, O Lord. I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Listen to my cry, for I am in desperate need. Rescue me from those who pursue me, for they are too strong for me. Set me free from my prison, that I may praise your name. Then the righteous will gather about me, because of your goodness to me. It seems to have still, you know, a, a very dark tone to it and a very help, help, I'm in real trouble here tone to it. But when you turn to Psalm 57, which precedes, at least in the sequence here of the Psalms, and you look at his angle 
from the cave in Psalm 57, it's a little different. It's a little more positive. So have mercy on me, O God, have mercy on me. This is Psalm 57, verse 1. For in you my soul takes refuge. We sung about that today. I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings. I'm in this cave, but God, you're with me in this cave until the disaster has passed. He sees an ending to the cave experience. He sees that something is going to change. I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. He sends from heaven and saves me. Rebuking those who hotly pursue me, he sends his love and his faithfulness. You see the positive tone to the psalm here. Little different than Psalm 142. I am in the midst of lions. I lie among ravenous beasts, men whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. But again, verse 5, be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. They spread a net for my feet. I bowed down. In distress, they dug a pit in my path, but they have fallen in it themselves. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make music from this humid, dark cave. I will sing. I will make music. Maybe no one's going to hear me unless 400 you know, vagabond, motley crew of people come to me, but I will, I will sing, awake, harp, and lyre. Those are the instruments he used in that day. I will awaken the dawn. I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations. I will sing of you among the peoples, for great is your love, reaching to the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. We've, we've uh, created music from that psalm. Many different contemporary songs use this, um, uh, this verse. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Wow, why does he have such a positive perspective there? In Psalm 142, it's more desperation. In Psalm 57, it's like he's got a different angle. Why? Because in the cave, you've got time. Life is real simple in the cave. Remember the cave that we visited in the U.S. It was in the state of Pennsylvania. And uh, they, they, there's a story of a hermit who lived in that cave. And uh, he, he lived there for a long time. He chose to live there. When you're in a cave and you're in a cave for a long time, that's what you have on your hands, time. And time gets, or life gets very simple when you're living in a cave, right? What am I going to eat today? Have I got shelter today? Uh, have I got the basics today? Did I live another day in the cave? And when you have time on your hands, that means you can reflect. And clearly David, especially in Psalm 57, is doing some reflection from inside the cave. When you have those difficult moments in life, when you have those moments of darkness where it's spiraling like this, you can, you can take advantage of those moments. You've got time on your hands, most likely, and you can reflect, and you can think, and you can find a way to, to look at your situation, perhaps with a different perspective, perhaps with a different angle. There's simplicity 
in the cave. Again, life gets very, very simple. How am I going to make it through the next day? And sometimes you go through experiences in life, and it's literally, it's a day-by-day thing. You say, well, I lived another day. You know, the, my, my debtor didn't come after me today. You know, my, my, my kids didn't, didn't go out and do something crazy today. Everything, is, everything happened today. It was stable. I lived another day. You know, I kept my job another day. I paid the bills another day. I put food on the table another day. I was even able to put gas in the car for another day. Tomorrow, I don't know what's going to happen. But today, I made it through. It's, it becomes very, very simple when you're in those moments of despair and desperation. I've read stories of people who have flat out burnt out. They've gone through moments of burnout in their lives. And when you're burnt out, and some of you, I think, in this room have probably experienced real burnout before, you can't do anything. Like people who are truly burnt out barely can get out of bed. I remember uh, reading a story of a of a a Christian uh, speaker, a very, very good communicator. I've heard him speak before and speaks to scores of young people about music and communication and all these different things. And uh, he went through this burnout period in his life. He couldn't even go and check the mail at his mailbox without literally having to hold on to something or someone. He was so burnt out. He would have anxiety attacks just going grocery shopping. Life got very, very simple for him. Very scary, but very simple for him in that moment. That's what happens when you're in the cave. Get simple. But character can grow in the cave. And clearly, David has, has moments where his character is being shaped and refined in this experience. And he actually turns the cave, it seems, into almost like a headquarters. So he takes this place of darkness and humidity and it's lonely and it's unpredictable and it's frightening. He spins it. He turns it almost like a a headquarters. It becomes a known place, the cave or the cave of Adullam. Samuel refers to it in 2 Samuel, and everybody seems to know what he's talking about. The way you read it, it seems like the readers would know exactly what it was. It had almost like a reputation. David had, had turned it and turned it into this place where he could direct and where he could lead. He's got 400 men who come to him. We're not sure why. The text doesn't say but they're, they're on the outskirts. They're in debt. They're disgruntled. They're discontented people. They're, they're kind of negative people. And for whatever reason, they come to David and they gravitate to David in his own negative circumstance, in his own period in his life where he's running from Saul, where he, he just played like he was insane before he even went into the cave. He's in a moment where he's got to survive. Everybody's after him. And these 400 men are somehow attracted to him. And he leads these men. And some of these men become great uh, uh, leaders themselves in David's whole military setup. Some of them are his mighty men, we read in the Old Testament. Men of valor. So the character starts to shift in this cave experience and leadership starts to develop 
Certainly in the life of David, if not the other men who were there with him, we don't know for how long. And ultimately, David comes to this place of worship, where he worships God in a greater way, where he, where he creates music, where he's very adamant about the faithfulness and the love of God and the grace of God and the uh, mercy of God and the power of God in a cave of all places. Why? Because things shifted. And a lot of it had to do with the way that he chose to treat the circumstance. It wasn't just kind of magic things changed. I think there was some intentionality on David's part. And that's what happens when you're in the emotional cave of life. You're either going to say, this is where I stay and this is where the way it's going to be forever. Or I'm going to change something. I'm going to adjust something. I'm going to change the way that I look at it. I'm going to change the way that I think about it. I'm going to change things that I can, so that I can find a way to get out. You know, I'm going to get help. I'm going to cry out for help. I'm going to do something to change this moment in my life, this moment of desperation and despair and darkness. And sometimes we get into the cave by our own doing. And some of you can testify to this and you can say, I wasn't running from anything. I created my own mess and I ended up in the cave. And I'm reaping the consequences of living in the cave experience. And now I've got to find a way change my life and to get out of it. Can I tell you that God loves to do, he loves doing that. He loves it when people are at the end of their rope calling out to him saying, I don't even know if God can help me. That's the place where God can shine the most in your life. When you're furthest away, when you feel the most lonely and the most isolated and the most sinful and the most alienated from God and the most alone, that's where God can work because he has you right in the place of desperation. It's no longer you. Now he has, you've given him in a sense the chance to work in your life. And sometimes that's what we need. Sometimes we can be very, very stubborn-minded and very strong-willed. And it's, I'm in control. I'm in control of this. I'm in control of that. I don't need God. Thank you very much. You know, it's good for, God is good for you. But I don't need God. I'm my own person. I face my own consequences. I'm in charge. And that's, for God, that's the worst thing. That's the worst attitude. There's a word for that. It starts with P. It's called pride. Yeah. You say, but that doesn't sound like pride. That's exactly what pride is. When you say, I don't need God, basically what you're saying is, I am my own God. And this is the last thing that, this is the thing that keeps people away from God the most, is that sense of independence and that sense of, I'm so in control of my life that I don't even need my creator. He's, he's an accessory for the weak. My friends, all of us are weak. And it would, we would do well to admit it. And I think, uh, just a suggestion for you, I think a pandemic brings people to a place of humility. 
It brings people to a place, especially when they start to see it affect people who they know and love. It's all well and good when, you know, your, your friends and your family and all the people who are part of your own little world are not affected. But when they start getting sick and when they start dying, then it starts to affect you. And this thing has, has humbled the proud in many, many places. As I've said to you, I've seen people who, who uh, you know, were the, the strongest um, uh, in terms of what they said and the vocal thing and their arguments and all that, and it's brought them to their knees. I've seen pastors who've been brought to their knees by this thing and people in their families and people in their churches. And maybe that's, maybe that's something that can come out of this whole global cave moment that we're in and continue to be in, even though, you know, things may be getting better. We still, we still live through it, don't we? We still have to wear that mask. I mean, my, my glasses still fog up when I put that thing on, right? Uh, but it's an illustration. We have to be at the place where we're able to do what David did, and we say, God, you are the one who's in control of my life. And sometimes the cave will bring you there. I'd like Simon and Sean to come up, and those guys are just going to play as much as they want as we close the service. Uh, But I want to pray for you before we finish today on Thanksgiving 2021. Are you thankful today? What are you thankful for? Shout out a few things. I'm alive, yeah, health. Life, family, friends, school. Oh boy, okay, that's real positive. Yeah, you must have been in the cave, the cave of bad grades. <laughs> yeah, so change your perspective. Change your perspective, and remember, it's God who you need, whether you're in the cave or you're not. He's the one who wants to be in control of your life, Father. I pray for each one who's in this room. I pray for the kids who are, who are just in number 11. Uh, I pray for those who are watching online, those who are going to watch or listen to a recording later. I pray, God, that you would break this pride in our lives. And uh, many of us, we, we just don't believe it. We just don't believe that it's necessary for us to fully surrender to you. And we're, we're very uh, convinced. Uh, and, and for many of us, we have a good case We've brought ourselves up. We've pulled our own selves up by our own bootstraps. And, uh, and we feel very convinced and very justified and very entitled. But God, I pray you would break this pride in our lives. And I pray you would help us to surrender fully to you for those who are in cave experiences and uh, places in their lives that are, are dark and desperate. I pray that the Spirit of God would reach into people's lives and grab a hold of the heart of that person. Even at this this moment, grab a hold of that heart and, Lord, reassure that heart and that mind that you are with them and that you can bring them out of darkness. But, God, above all things, may we grow closer to you. We live in this place in the world just just by your by your grace by uh, for whatever reason where we have so much so we have so many options at our disposal we have so many things that we can have we have so much materialism we have so much food we have so much water we have it all at our fingertips 
But God, I pray that we wouldn't forget you at the same time. And we wouldn't buy the lie that says we've done all of this ourselves. But we would surrender to you and let you take the wheel of our lives and take full control of our lives. We pray that today, this Thanksgiving weekend in Canada, 2021. And everybody said amen. Amen. God bless you today. And again, if you're visiting with us, don't run out too quick. There's coffee and donuts and tea. And don't forget to pick up your kids in number 11. God bless you. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone.